from Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. Right now, we'll look at the movie marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going sharing some opinions from my perspective after decades of talking about Hollywood on CNN Entertainment Tonight and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist. wasn't much of a holiday weekend at the box office, although one strange turkey was trying to get moviegoers' time and money. The underperforming Thanksgiving weekend hammered home how damaged Disney is today following ex-CEO Bob Chapek's efforts to turn Hollywood's top-grossing studio into a direct-to-consumer company. The old Disney's powerhouse strength under former and now once again CEO Bob Iger is seen in the success of Black Panther Wakanda Forever from Marvel, one of the amazing companies Iger acquired for Disney. It's Wakanda that kept the box office recovery going single-handed over Thanksgiving. The failure of Disney Animation's strange world reflects Chapek really not understanding the value of quality theatrical content. Under Chapek, Disney's prime animation division Pixar, which also was acquired during Iger's first reign, was marginalized as a content provider to Disney+, Plus, while Disney Animation's theatrical product, like Strange, was scaled back, losing the sense of magic that was Disney's great traditional strength. On today's box office autopsy, we'll focus on what went wrong this Thanksgiving weekend, and later in our Oscar Outlook Spotlight, we'll look at reports that the next SAG Awards may not be telecast. But we start today with a look at the weekend's biggest disappointment, Thanksgiving's only wide, family-friendly release, Strange World. This quick scene will help you decide if moviegoers were right. What are you doing? I'm trying to see outside. Ethan, you think you can reach your arm under here and up to the door handle? Clearly, no. What's that noise? No tongue! Legend! Hey, boy. Hey, open the door. Yeah. Hey, boy, come on. Open, open the, the door. door. Come open on, legend. Door. You can do it. Come on, open legend. That's, door. Door. That's mama's baby. That's mama's baby. You can do it. You can open do it. Can you not yell at my dog? Well, I wouldn't yell if you were actually trained. He is trained. He hasn't been in the house for the last two days. We've been on this ship for the last two days. <laughs> Unlock it. There's a switch right beside the handle. Legend, you see the switch? Legend, you see the switch? What is that sound? Is he licking the switch? Legend, stop licking the switch. Legend, stop licking the switch. 
Strange World was always on track to open second, but Hollywood handicappers were anticipating at least $30 million for five days. What they got was an ice-cold $18.6 million at 4,174 theaters. With Strange's fizzle and nothing new opening to big business, the Thanksgiving marketplace contracted to about $125 million. That's about half of what the five-day turkey holiday used to generate at the box office. Last Thanksgiving, Disney Animation's musical Encanto opened to what was seen then as a not-so-great $40.6 million for five days, and that was while COVID fears were still making people think twice about going to movies or other public venues. Strange, which reportedly cost $180 million to produce, is a weak 73% with Rotten Tomatoes critics. Worse yet, audiences are hating it with 60%, so word of mouth should be deadly. Strange's failure comes despite having no other direct competition for family audiences in the marketplace, although Wakanda is said to have become the default family choice. Wakanda topped the chart for the third consecutive weekend with $64 million for five days at 4,258 theaters. Media pundits were only projecting 55 to 60 million, and some of that overage could be from family ticket sales. Without Wakanda, Thanksgiving would have been a really grim weekend for exhibitors. Wakanda's domestic cum is now a very healthy $367.7 million. Audiences love it on Rotten Tomatoes at 94%, which should help prop up the box office until Avatar The Way of Water opens December 16th from Disney's 20th Century, which is another of Iger's inspired acquisitions during his first term at Disney. The success of Netflix's PG-13 crime dramedy Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, with Daniel Craig back as Detective Benoit Blanc, is proof again that movies are a product-driven business. Analysts expected six to eight million, but this glass was much more full. Opening to what Hollywood insiders say is a little over $13 million in third place at 600-plus theaters for five days. Since Netflix doesn't report box office data, we don't have confirmed numbers or an exact theater count. Nonetheless, the experiment of releasing glass to theaters shows that Netflix could easily tap into the theatrical marketplace for some badly needed new revenues. At the same time, Netflix would help keep exhibition alive while the major studios are failing to supply enough product. By only running glass in theaters for one week, Netflix is clearly giving up several hundred million dollars in theatrical grosses, a move Wall Street isn't likely to applaud. The franchise's first title, Knives Out, opened via Lionsgate November 27, 2019 to 
just under $27 million. It went on to gross $165.4 million domestic and $147.5 million internationally for a worldwide total of nearly $313 million. Netflix then spent $450 million to acquire the rights to make two sequels. Critics love Glass with 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, while audiences are also 93%. Great reviews and word of mouth from its one-week theatrical preview will make Glass a much stronger want-to-see title when Netflix starts streaming it December 23rd. The film that likely would have connected with families with older children over Thanksgiving is Universal and Amblin Entertainment's biodrama The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's look back at his own childhood days when he first discovered movie making. But Fablemans was only playing in 638 theaters, where it did 3.1 million for five days. The critics on Rotten Tomatoes are 93%, but audiences are 81%. The film's great reviews and its slow rollout should benefit its Oscar opportunities, which are already generating a big buzz for Best Picture, Directing, Original Screenplay, and Lead Actress for Michelle Williams. Here's a quick catch-up on The Fablemans, including a few thoughts from Steven Spielberg. Most of my movies have been a reflection of things that happened to me. Movies are dreams that you never forget. And this story kept tugging me back to actual memories and seeing them unspool in front of me. It was just like nothing I have ever gone through before. And ultimately, it was a very good experience. So soon, two years after my father passed away and five years after my mom died. In this family, it's the scientists versus the artists. Sammy's on my team, takes after me. Stephen said it's about his childhood, how he grew up and his memories of his parents and his sisters spent playing in deep imagination. What kind of movie are we going to make? You dismiss what he does. It's playful or imaginative. We wanted to make a movie that reflected a human experience that's familiar and something that would say something about life. I wanted people to see their own families inside the story. Because this story is about family. It's about parents. It's about siblings. It's about bullying. It's about the good and bad things that happen when you're growing up in a family that stays together until they're no longer together. Looking ahead, as Thanksgiving fizzles out, we're on our way to Christmas. Next week, and we'll see the holiday spirit start bubbling as Santa hits town in Universal's R-rated action crime comedy, Violent Night. Here's director Tommy Wercola talking about why he wanted to make Violent Night. I got the script from 87 North a little over a year ago, um, and they, they only said one thing. They said, it's like uh, Die Hard with Santa Claus. So... Hearing that is like, oh yeah, that sounds cool, but it could also be a little too out there. But um, uh, they sent me the script, and it had all the action I expected, all the action, all the humor, all the craziness, uh, but it also had a lot of heart. And uh, that's what I connected to, was the fact that despite all the craziness, despite all the action, it still felt like a Christmas movie. So that was the reason why I jumped on it. Yes, I knew I could do the action, I knew I could do the humor, but the challenge to me uh, and what I would love to try to do was to 
make it a, a movie with a big heart, because if you nail that, you can go as crazy as you want on the other, on the other stuff. A week later, we'll go from night to light, as Searchlight Pictures starts its limited release of the R-rated British romantic drama Empire of Light, starring Olivia Colman, Michael Ward, and Colin Firth, directed by Sam Mendes, whose films include Skyfall and 1917. This scene will help you decide if you want to see it or skip it. Hillary, are you right? Stephen, tell me truthfully. Did I humiliate myself? What? Tell me, did I? No, it wasn't humiliating. It was just intense. To be honest, I thought you were a bit of a hero. <laughs> That's very nice of you. Hard to believe. My dad used to take me fishing when I was little. We never caught any fish. And for years, I just thought he was a bad fisherman. <laughs> and then I realised it was something else, something quite simple. He didn't know where the fish were. And he was too ashamed to ask. He was just ashamed. Shame is not a healthy condition. Searchlight has high hopes for Empire to get into prime Oscar races like Best Picture, Directing, and Original Screenplay, Sam Mendes, and Lead Actress, Olivia Colman. But it won't help having a 45% rotten critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Meanwhile, Thanksgiving was stuffed with films but gave exhibitors much less box office gravy than in past years. So it's definitely good news that Santa's on his way. Christmas is exhibitors' last chance to recover from the studio's crippling product meltdown. James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water, opening December 16th from Disney and 20th Century, may not make up for all the damage, but it should at least end 2022 on a festive note. Some Hollywood handicappers are cautiously projecting 150 million plus, while others are 150 to 175 million. A2's 190 minutes running time is a factor in holding down predictions, since typically very long movies lose a showing daily. Playing on more multiplex screens makes up for some of that, but being over long does hurt. The original Avatar, which only ran 162 minutes, 
reportedly cost $237 million to produce. It opened December 18th of 2009 to $77 million, and with reissues did just over $785 million domestic, plus $2.1 billion international, for a worldwide total of $2.92 billion. A2, which reportedly cost $400 million to produce, is tracking through the roof and could overperform with perhaps $175 to $200 million. First choice scores for older men are already 17 points over norm, while younger men are 12 points over norm. Older women are 15 points over norm, and younger women are 13 points over norm. That's four quadrants. Sony and Marvel's Spider-Man No Way Home kicked off last December 17th to just over $260 million in darker pandemic days. It ran just 148 minutes and was fanboys-driven, dropping by 67.5% in Weekend 2. A2's adult appeal should give it longer legs, and it's tracking points to a stronger start than is now expected. Christmas weekend will be A2's second weekend. Wide-release newcomers will include, on December 21st, Universal and DreamWorks' PG Animated Puss in Boots' The Last Wish. And on December 23rd, Paramount's dramedy Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle, director of La La Land, and with such stars as Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. And Sony TriStar's musical biodrama I Want to Dance with Somebody, starring Naomi Aki as Whitney Houston, and Stanley Tucci as legendary record producer and executive Clive Davis. Time now to focus our Oscar Outlook spotlight on the awards front. After years of explaining away declining ratings, awards shows are now starting to suffer the consequences. Last week's news that both the SAG and Independent Spirit Awards are looking, apparently without success, for new TV homes came as a surprise, but wasn't really surprising. Neither show was generating the kind of ratings that would win a renewal. TNT was SAG's TV home for the last 24 years. This February, after having pre-taped during the worst of the pandemic, the high-profile two-hour program aired live with lots of famous faces that are SAG members. SAG's Best Movie Cast Award, its equivalent of Best Picture, went to CODA, which later won the Best Picture Oscar. The telecast on TNT and TBS, however, averaged only 1.8 million viewers. That was up from 2021's 957,000 viewers, but it didn't make Warner Brothers Discovery eager to keep airing the program. The SAG noms will be announced January 11th, and the awards bestowed February 26th. The lower-profile spirits show was airing on AMC Network's IFC channel and streaming on AMC+. 
apparently viewership was sufficiently low to sink its 2023 telecast. The Spirits film noms were announced November 22nd, and the winners will be revealed March 4th. This makes the HFPA's embattled Golden Globes one of the few surviving awards telecasts Tuesday, January 10th on NBC. As of now, there is no real buzz about the 80th Globes, which is announcing noms December 12th, but hasn't yet set a host for its show. As for the Academy, it recently made a good move by bringing Jimmy Kimmel on board to host the 95th Oscars, which will air Sunday, March 12th on ABC. And that's a wrap for today's box office autopsy. We'll return next week to check out the opening of Violent Night, and we'll talk about all the latest awards action in our Oscar Outlook feature. So please join us again then, and thanks very much for listening. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for November 27th, 1920. We think of superhero films as a recent genre from Disney Marvel and Warner Brothers DC, but they actually go back to Hollywood's silent days. The Mark of Zorro, which opened November 27, 1920 in New York City, is really the starting point for superhero movies. Its masked action hero, a swashbuckling swordsman played by Douglas Fairbanks, protects peasants from the oppressive rulers of early 19th century Spanish California. Villains' faces, after meeting Zorro's sword, are marked for life with his trademark Z. Like future superheroes, Zorro also has a mild-mannered alter ego, Don Diego Vega, son of a wealthy ranchero. Fairbanks was a top star in 1920, having already made 29 movies, mostly boy-meets-girl romances and comedies that were popular in early Hollywood. Fairbanks wanted to find something altogether different to do next, and he knew it when he saw it. A 1919 story, The Curse of Capistrano, in All Story Weekly magazine, about a new and virtually unknown character called Zorro. Fairbanks, using the pseudonym Elton Thomas, his middle names, adapted the story with Eugene Miller and produced it for his own Douglas Fairbanks pictures. It became the first movie released by United Artists, which had been founded in 1919 by Hollywood's three biggest stars, Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, and Charlie Chaplin, and pioneer director D.W. Griffith, whose The Birth of a Nation had done blockbuster business in 1915. 
Not only did the success of Zorro reboot Fairbanks's acting career, it also launched a brand new action genre driven by a masked human superhero, a prototype for later comic book stars like the Batman. In fact, Zorro was the movie that Thomas and Martha Wayne took their young son, Bruce, to see the night in 1920 when they were murdered right in front of him in Gotham City, the tragedy that motivated Bruce Wayne to devote his life to fighting crime. Fairbanks is remembered today for action roles in silent films like Zorro, 1924's The Thief of Baghdad, and 1922's Robin Hood, as well as for being a founding member of the Motion Picture Academy and hosting the first Academy Awards in 1929. Fairbanks' 1920 marriage to superstar Mary Pickford made them Hollywood's first power couple. The Mark of Zorro was remade twice, in 1940, during the golden age of comic books with Tyrone Power, and in 1974 with Frank Langella. There also were other episodes, like 1998's The Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas and The Legend of Zorro in 2005, also starring Banderas. After getting off to a strong start with Zorro, UA managed to survive decades of Hollywood twists and turns and is still active today as a distributor. But when Fairbanks and his superstar pals formed UA, competing movie moguls insisted the lunatics had now taken over the asylum. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.